Make us attentive to Your Word. This truth that we have before us in written form because of Your grace, Your grace in giving divine revelation. Lord, we pray, open our hearts and minds to it. We ask, Lord, that You help us to set aside distractions, maybe things that are on our minds that would steal our attention away, maybe maybe things going on around us at the moment. Lord, enable us to focus in on Your truth, on what You are speaking to Your people now in this hour. Lord, again, we're so thankful for Your Word. I ask that You enable me to deliver the message You want delivered here. Grant all of us ears to hear. In Jesus' name, Amen. Can be seated. <clears throat> Amen. I should uh, <clears throat> I should mention quickly. I was I was asked to um, uh, come and and, and sing uh, for at a at a benefit next week that I wanted y'all to know about. Um, and I, I, I don't, I don't know this brother, and I don't have his name in front of me. He's the uh, apparently the uh, music 
minister up at Bell Park, and he has pancreatic cancer. Um, and so they're doing a, a benefit next Saturday, the 27th. <clears throat> yeah, thank you. Bob Burns. Bob Burns. Um, is on our prayer list. Um, but they're doing a, a benefit next Saturday from 1 to 6. And so I'm not even sure what all that entails. I don't know if they're selling food or, or what they're doing, but it is a fundraiser for him. And, uh, and I know that they're going to be having music uh, throughout that period from, from 1 to 6. So I just wanted to mention that in case you can either make plans to be there or else you may just want to, uh, if you can't be there, give them, uh, contact them and, and make a donation uh, to the fund or something, something like that. That's next Saturday. Um, okay, this morning, um, really going to primarily try to zero in here on, on uh, verses 31 through, through 44, and, and I probably will mention uh, some things in 45, 6, and, and uh, 7 there, but, but I, I want to try to come back to that tonight and uh, spend a little, uh, give a little more attention to that. Uh, some very significant things that Jesus is saying there regarding the Scripture. But, um, just by way of reminder, let, let me say this. We're, we're coming we're at, in the middle of this discussion. This, discussion. this is the same discussion that has been going on since Jesus healed the man at the pool of Bethesda. Back in, back in the early part of this chapter, the, 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 the Jews were scandalized by that. Um, first of all, because they saw this man carrying his bed on the Sabbath day. Remember, this man had been lame for 38 years. Jesus told him to get up and walk and carry his bed and <laughs> go home, basically. And so when the Jews saw that, they, they criticized him for carrying his bed. And he said, well, you know, the man who healed me told me to carry my bed. So that's what I'm doing. And uh, well, they wanted to know, who, who, who told you to do that? He didn't know. But later, Jesus approached him. Uh, that's verse... Verse 14 said, See you are well, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. And so now he knows who Jesus is, and he goes back to the Jews and tells them. And so they confront Jesus. And verse 16 tells us that uh, this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Now, it's, it's pretty much obvious. Uh, a big part of what's going on here, here is that they're just looking for an excuse to, to uh, confront him and to criticize Him. And so, as I mentioned before, when we were going through those verses, uh, there's nothing in the, in the law about not being able to heal on the Sabbath, and not only that, but at this point, they seem to have lost interest in the man carrying his bed. Um, they're just focused in on, on criticizing Jesus. Well, this starts a whole discussion, and verse 18 says, they were seeking all the more to kill Him, that is, to kill Jesus, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, at least in their view, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. Now they said that because of what Jesus said in verse 17. My Father is working until now, and I am working. So he's calling God his Father, and then he's basically putting himself on, a, on an equal plane by saying, look, I've got to do what... God does. He works. I work. I do what He does. And so they, they picked up on that, and, and I, I think rightly so, came to the conclusion 
that he's making himself equal with God. So now Jesus begins this dialogue about his own identity and his own authority, um, which is, of course, uh, all wrapped up in who he is. And so he talks about uh, how he does only what he sees the Father do. The Father shows me all things. I don't do anything out of my own initiative. I only do what I see the Father do. What What he's saying is I'm not... I'm not just doing things on my own. I'm not about self-glory. I am here fulfilling the Father's purpose. And then he goes on to talk about how he himself is deserving of honor. Now, they they are obviously not uh, honoring him. They're accusing him, falsely accusing him. So he's beginning to talk to them in, in these verses about how he should be the object of honor. He says in verse 22, The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son. And now he's brought another concept into it, talking about himself judging. In fact, being the final judge. And he says he's able to give life to whom he wills, just as the Father does, and that he will judge, and that all who believe on him um, and believe on Him who has sent Him, verse 24, will have eternal life. So all, all of these things, and I just briefly mentioned to show that the main thing here is His identity. Who is He? Well, obviously, if He does the same things the Father does, if He has power to give life, even raise people from the dead like the Father does at will, if He stands as judge on the last day judging every person, then all of this is evidence, I think, that their conclusion was correct. He's making himself equal with God. And all he's doing is 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 expounding on that, saying, you know, this is basically saying this is ob- obviously so. Because look, <laughs> I do the Father's will perfectly. I only do what he shows me. I have power to give life. I will judge, and so forth. Now, he's continuing in that vein here in verses 31 through 47 by calling forth witnesses, as it were. Faithful witnesses are the idea of, when I say faithful, I'm the idea of they're being true. These are true witnesses that testify concerning the identity of Jesus Christ. Now, this, I mean, you can think of this somewhat like a, a courtroom experience. In, in other words, you, you call witnesses forward to verify what happened or who somebody is. Uh, sometimes, you know, if you have to sign a legal document, they will make you have a witness to verify that you're really who you say you are. And then they notarize it, and the notary becomes a witness. And so, um, you know, they, they've looked at your picture ID and all that kind of good stuff, and so they can, they can testify. Well, that's sort of what's happening here. Jesus is saying, look, there's all these witnesses that testify to my true identity. And even though he doesn't say it in these words, I think the idea is, is there that, yes, indeed, truly, I am equal with God. That's what he's saying. And we know, right, because we've read, they didn't have John 1, 
But we've read John 1 and we know that He is God in the flesh. And I, um, I mentioned this morning in Sunday school that um, you're, you're basically getting the same sermon Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And, and that's because that's what John is doing here. It's all about who Jesus is. He's the Christ, the Son of God. And if you believe on Him, you have eternal life. That's, that's John's message in this Gospel. That's Jesus' message as He's talking with the different people and preaching. And, and that's my message as well. And so we're hearing, hearing it with you know, a little bit different uh, perspectives and, and that, but it's the same message over and over and over. I remember I was, uh, I was listening to uh, some of you familiar with uh, John Piper. He's a, a well-known pastor, and, or was a pastor. He's no longer a pastor, but he's a well-known pastor and author. He's written a lot of books. A lot of books. And I, I was. I remember listening to one of his sermons one time, and, and uh, you know, it was it was at a conference or something. And he told them. Um, he he mentioned one book, and and then he told them, you know, just just buy one of my books, um, because I say the same thing in every one of them. <laughs> it's all about you know glorify God, uh, but uh, I would say it's worth reading more than one because he he definitely comes from different. Perspectives and aspects. All right, so that's what kind of what John is doing. He's giving us the same message over and over and over. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. He's God in the flesh. And if you believe on Him, and if you believe on the One who sent Him, which is one and the same, in fact, He's, he's already made it clear, you don't honor the Father unless you honor Christ. So to believe on one is to believe on the other. It's one and the same. Nevertheless, you can say it, say it separately, although you're saying the same thing twice. If you believe on Jesus and you believe on the One who sent Jesus, you have eternal life. That's John's message. And if you don't, you don't believe on Him, you do not have life. In fact, he implies here strongly, uh, you're going to be resurrected at the last day to judgment. Judgment. Okay. So now, he begins calling forth the witnesses here. He says, uh, first of all, in verse 31... If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not deemed true. Or just literally, it's not true. My, my testimony is not true. Um, this word, testimony, or witness, sometimes it's translated witness, sometimes testimony. Um, it, this is one of John's favorite words. I mean, he, he uses it. Over and over and over and over again in in the gospel and in his epistles, it's 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 the, depending on the word because sometimes it's in verb form and sometimes it's in uh, uh, noun form. But the noun is marturia, and it's where we get our word martyr. That's what a martyr is. That's that's how those who die for the faith came to be called martyrs. Because they were bearing witness. They were testifying. Alright? So they, they were giving testimony and they were killed for their testimony. And so they came to be known as martyrs, witnesses. And incidentally, um, uh, you know, I'm not, often I'm not too crazy about <clears throat> redefining words. I mean, I understand language is fluid and some of that happens, but. Um, Sometimes it's not a good thing. You know, you lose good words like the, like the term uh, gay 
and and now they're trying to redefine marriage, all right? And and to some extent, there, there's been some effort to redefine martyr so that somebody who straps a bomb on themselves and goes and blows up 30 people is called a martyr. Well, that's incorrect. That's not a martyr. That's a murderer, okay? Uh, that's a murderer. A martyr is someone who is put to death, um, and that's the traditional usage. But here, in the Greek, it just means witness, or, you know, one who testifies. The verb form then would be testify, or bear witness. And John uses it repeatedly, and you're going to see it a lot here. Um, Jesus using it over and over. So Jesus says, If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. Now, let me, before I get to who that is, let me just say real quickly, um, verse 31, if, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. Jesus says, I'm, I'm, he's making the point, that I'm not the only one who bears testimony about my identity. If that were the case, um, then, it, then my, it wouldn't be true. But, but I have... Um, the testimony is coming from somebody else. Now, it's possible here that what Jesus has in mind, and I think this is the way it's often taken, but it's possible here that what Jesus has in mind is the Old Testament requirement for establishing a matter. So, for example, in Deuteronomy 17.6, uh, in the case of uh, capital punishment, putting one to someone to death, Deuteronomy 17.6 says, On the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses, he who is to die shall be put to death. He shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness. So under the Old, Old Testament law, in order to uh, execute someone, you had to have at least two or more witnesses. Couldn't do it on the testimony of one witness. There's too much um, possibility that one person could lie that, that possibility lessens dramatically when you get somebody else involved. I mean, it's true two or even three people could make up a lie but, uh, and, and, you know, um, collaborate, but, but the likelihood definitely lessens. And again, in Deuteronomy 19.15, uh, a single witness shall not rise up against a man on account of any iniquity or any sin which he has committed. So that's more general. A single witness shall not rise up against a man on account of any iniquity or any sin which he has committed. On the evidence of two or three witnesses, a matter shall be confirmed. So that's the standard in the Old Testament law. If, if there's an accusation made against anybody, it's still, it's still true for us, by the way. Um, Paul instructed Timothy, you don't, you don't take a, uh, an accusation against an elder except before witnesses. You've got to have other people um, to, to establish the thing. So, so that's the standard. It may be that that's what Jesus has in mind so that um, he, he's saying, I, I can't just test, simply testify myself. There has to be more or else my testimony is not true. And that seems to be um, the way the, the, the translators of the ESV took it and also the NIV is similar. But the ESV reads this way, um, If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not deemed true. And the NIV says something like it's not valid or something to that effect. Um, so that seems to be the way that the, the translators took it. They're, they're thinking he's got that in mind. But I, but I think um, probably what he's talking about here is, uh, is, is, is a reference to 
not a testimony to other people about who He is, but a testimony to Himself. In other words, it's, it's, it's sort of like um, back in verse 19, He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord. Or, or I told you before, that can be translated, the Son can do nothing of His own initiative. And then He goes on there to talk about how He's dependent upon the Father and what the Father shows Him and what the Father does because that's what He mimics and what the Father gives Him to do. Well, He's still talking in that same vein. We're still in the same discussion. I mean, essentially, what He has said back in verses 19, 20, maybe through 21, He, he is now continue, continuing to expound upon so I think back in verse 31, he says, "I alone bear witness about my, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true." And I think what he's saying is, the Father shows me all things, and he has shown me. My mission, who I am, what I'm about, what I'm going to do. And I know His testimony is true. I don't do anything of my own initiative. If that were the case, if I were seeking my own glory, seeking to do my own will, then I would not be true. But, he's saying that's not the case. I have the witness of another. Verse 32. There is another who bears witness. So the first witness that he's referencing here is the Father. God the Father. Referring to the testimony of God the Father directly to Him. Now all of these various, various witnesses um, that he's going to mention are in some way the testimony of the Father. You know, manifesting. Sometimes, you know, indirectly. But this one he's talking about is it's a direct testimony, and not only a direct testimony, but it is directly to him, not to, not to the world, not to the Jews, not to believers or whatever, but to him. I know his testimony is true. Verse 33. Uh, and and we'll, we'll see that again, but let me, I'll go ahead and move on to the next one. The, ne- the next one is course, John the Baptist. Now he is talking about a testimony for, for the world, for, or in this case, for the Jews. The testimony of John the Baptist. And uh, I think this is somewhat parenthetical, and it will go back to the first testimony in a minute, but uh, we'll, we'll notice that as we get to it. So he says in verse uh, 33, You sent to John, that is John the Baptist, and he has borne witness to the truth. So, he says, you, you, you sent people out to John to examine him. You may remember that. We, we talked about that. And John bore witness to the truth. He was, and I'm skipping verse 34 for just a minute, verse 35, he was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. So, so Jesus is saying, John bore testimony, or he testified concerning the truth, 
And you, the Jews, were willing to rejoice, in the, and the, he uses a strong word there, it's like to exceedingly rejoice, to exult in his testimony for a while. For an hour, literally. In other words, they didn't, they didn't last long when it came to rejoicing in John's message. Probably had something to do with the fact that he started talking about hell and being a Jew not being enough. The fathers already laid the axe to the root of the tree, calling them vipers to their faith. Probably had something to do with that. That kind of put a damper on their rejoicing. But, but um, they they rejoiced for a while. They tried to give some credence to John, and Jesus uses that because it was, in spite of the fact that they wound up rejecting John, at least the leaders did, uh, to a great extent. If in spite of that, what John was saying was true. It was a true testimony. He was, Jesus says, a burning and shining lamp. A burning and shining lamp. Um, <laughs> the language there, and I love the way D.A. Carson puts this, translates it. John, speaking of John... He was, John was ignited and gave light. And that verb, burning, he was ignited, it's passive. He, he, somebody lit him up. I mean, he was ignited and he was emanating light. But listen, when you, when you light up something, you light a candle or something like that, um, then all of that... Is, is doing is, is, is transmitting light that has been given to it. It's not the true source. And John was not. He said that of himself. Remember back in the pro- prologue, he's not that light. Right? But he was, he was a light. He's just it's kind of like the moon reflecting the sun. He was ignited and gave light. And Jesus says, you were willing to rejoice in that for a time. Now, verse 34, Jesus says, um, I say these things so that you may be saved. Now, John John was a testimony to the people. Now, I said when, in the first instance with the Father, I think Jesus was talking, uh, in that instance, He was talking about the Father bearing witness to Him, Himself. John is a witness to the people, so that they may be saved. And I think Jesus is reminding the Jews here, John spoke the truth. He testified faithfully. But you were only willing to rejoice in His light for a while. But I'm I'm telling you these things so that you may be saved. In other words, John told the truth and you ought to be paying attention to his message. Now let me say one more thing about the the first point here because it's in verse 34. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man. Now, did Jesus disapprove of John's testimony? Of course not. Did He receive it in the sense of it being a true message going out to the people? Yes, He sent. John was sent by God to do what He did. Jesus says He was ignited (laughs) <laughs> and he and he gave light. So what does he mean? I don't receive the testimony of man. Well, this is one more indication, I think, 
that back in verses 31, in verse 31, he's talking about a testimony to himself. He says, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not deemed true, or is not true. There is another who bears witness about me. Why? Because I don't receive testimony from man. In other words, I'm not, I'm not claiming to be who I am and what I am because some man told me, because John the Baptist told me that I'm the Christ. Or because there was a consensus among the people. You know, I was doing wonderful things, so everybody said, you must be the Christ, and, you know, they convinced me. No. Jesus says, I got that straight from the Father. He shows me all things, and I do what He does. I don't, I don't receive testimony from a man. Or that can be translated from people. I don't receive testimony from people. But I'm telling you these things so that you may be saved. That's the Jews. Now, verse 36. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. Obviously, the testimony of the Father directly, God, is greater than the testimony of John the Baptist. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I'm doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. Now notice that. He says, the works give testimony. The works give testimony. So now he's called, he's called another witness. The works that the Father has given him to do. So, again, I mean, if you trace this back, you will say, well, isn't that the testimony of God the Father? Sure it is. Sure it is. So this is another way that, that the, the testimony of the Father manifests for the people. God speaks through the prophet John the Baptist, for example, um, and He speaks through works um, testifying of the identity of Christ. And, and there's another way that we'll see shortly. So, so, yeah, if you get down, ultimately, get down to the bottom of it, ultimately, this is, we're still talking about the testimony of God here, but now it's, it's, it's indirect. An example of, of a direct testimony, let's say at Jesus' baptism when God speaks from heaven and the people hear, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Now there's an example of God giving a direct testimony not only to Jesus but to the disciples and all who were in earshot. But this is more indirect. In other words, God is speaking through a man, John the Baptist, and now He's speaking through deeds, the works, the works that Jesus does. So, Jesus says, the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness, that is, they testify about me, that the Father has sent me. So He's saying, the works that I do testify to the fact that I am sent of the Father. Testify to the fact that I am the Son of God. Testify to the fact that He is equal with God. So the works bear witness. Verse 37, And the Father who sent Me has Himself borne witness about Me. His voice... You have never heard His form. You have never seen. 
Interesting. Makes you wonder. None, none, of, none of these apparently were present to hear the voice of God when Jesus was baptized. And maybe he's drawing a contrast to people like Moses who they would claim as their spiritual ancestor. You know, they do. You know, we're, we, we, we trust Moses and we're the seed of Abraham. But Moses, Abraham, Isaac heard God's voice. Even, we're, we're getting a little ahead of myself here, but in, in chapter 8 we're going to see, Jesus says, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. But you, he says to these unbelieving Jews, you, you've never heard God's voice, you've never seen His form. Verse 38, And you do not have His Word abiding in you. For you do not believe the only one whom He has sent. And what He's saying is, all of the evidence is there to support my claims. Testimony of God the Father directly to the Son, Jesus showing Him all things, giving Him work to fulfill. The testimony of John the Baptist to all His listeners. The testimony of the works that He's doing. We've seen a couple of examples. Turn water into wine. In Cana of Galilee, He healed the invalid at the pool of Bethesda. And he's done, done a lot of other miracles. We, those are the only two that John has recorded for us so far. But those works testify to the truth of Jesus' claim. Those works testify to the truth of what we preach. thought about that this morning. Something Bob said in Sunday school. I don't remember exactly what it was now, but he was, he was talking about... Um, uh, we, we were, we were, uh, Bob made some reference to uh, uh, the Bible... Um, what did, how did you say it? Just already, already um, testified concerning something. I've forgotten what it was now. But that is true for all of us. The validity of our message is, is, is every miracle in Scripture validates, as long as we stick with the Word, validates what we're preaching. John Calvin, when, when uh, he was criticized by the Roman Catholic Church, that was one of the things that they, they used. They said, you know, you, haven't, you, you have no miracles. You've done no miracles to confirm your message. And, of course, they claim, you know, to do, have documented miracles. And that was Calvin's response. He said, all of the miracles in the Bible validate my message. In other words, what he was saying is all I'm doing is preaching the Bible. And, and all, all of the miracles recorded in the Bible confirm what the Bible says. So, even Jesus' works testify, as it were. They're speaking a testimony concerning His identity. Now, there's one more here. Um, let, well, let's get to it. In, uh, um, verse 39 You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. 
And it is they that bear witness about me. Now, I'm going to be real brief on this this morning because I want to come back to this tonight. But this is a, in this section, this is the last witness that he offers. That's the Scripture. What we call the Bible. The book. You know, the word Bible means book. The book. Not just any book. Not a book. <laughs> the book. The Bible. That's the Scripture. Now, specifically, Jesus is referring to what we call the Old Testament. Because the New Testament wasn't written yet. It's not that it doesn't apply. It does. It's just as true. But in Jesus' day, when He was fulfilling His earthly ministry, the New Testament wasn't written yet. He's referring to what we call the Old Testament. Genesis to Malachi. He tells the Jews, and the Jewish leaders especially certainly were diligent in searching the Scriptures, and Jesus acknowledges that. You search the Scriptures because... You think that in them you have eternal life. Well, so far so good. I mean, that all sounds great, doesn't it? Search the Scriptures looking for eternal life. And that's the right place to go. But the problem is they've missed the message of the Scriptures. It's sort of like um, the old adage, you know, you can't see the forest from the tre- forest for the trees. I mean, there it is right there. And they totally missed it. And it's this. That all of Scripture... In fact, let me say it this way, because Jesus, again, is talking about what we call the Old Testament. The subject of all of the Old Testament is Jesus. That's, I mean, if you, if you, you know, park on that for a while and think on that for a while, that's an amazing statement. And he'll reiterate it um, in, the, in the last part of this chapter and then, uh, and then again later in, uh, in chapter 8, um, I believe it is. So, the object of all, or the subject of all the Old Testament is Jesus. That's what he's saying. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is they that testify about Me. You notice He doesn't, he doesn't pick out one passage like Isaiah 7.14 or something and say, that passage there prophesies about Me. Although it's true that it does. But no, He says all of it. All of it. From Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. All through the creation account, God said. It's, it's, you read it, it, it's all about God's redemptive plan, and all of that is pointing to what God's going to do in Christ. In Christ. So, the Scripture testifies concerning the identity of Jesus, and if they understood the Scripture, they would have recognized Jesus. But he says, again, clearly in verse 38, you do not have His Word, that is the Father's Word, you do not have His Word abiding in you, for you do not believe the One whom He sent. You see how this works? Jesus says, I know that you don't really have the Word of God abiding in you because you don't believe the One in whom He sent. So in other words, 
I know you don't really believe in God because you don't believe in me. You see how that works? And if you believe, and then you can turn that around and say, you, you believe on the one who sent me, that is God, then you'll believe me. I know, I know that you truly believe in Him if you believe in me. You truly believe in me if you believe in Him. It's one in the same. So all of this is, is really confirming what he's been accused of, making himself equal with God. And he's saying, yes, yes, yes. And you should have known it. You should have recognized it. So, again, back to verse, real quick, we just got a little bit of time left here, but back to verse 30, um, 39. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is they that bear witness of me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people. That's again, similar to what he said earlier, I don't, I don't accept the testimony of men. I don't receive uh, glory from people. But I know that you do not have the love of God within you. How does he know that? Because they don't love Him. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive Me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? So he says, you're all about what I'm not about. I don't seek my own glory. The Father shows me all things and I do what the Father does. I'm on His mission. I do His will. You're just the opposite. You're all about self-glory. You're all about the praise of men. You seek the praise of men rather than the praise of God. If you sought the praise of God, you would receive Me. But you don't. You don't receive Me because the Word of God doesn't dwell in you and you don't believe. How can you believe when you seek the glory of people? They are men-pleasers rather than God-pleasers. And every unregenerate person is. So he goes on, verse 44, How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? And by the way, just real quick, by implication, that means we ought to seek the glory that comes from God. <laughs> That's what Jesus is saying. We ought to seek the glory that comes from God. We ought to seek His praise. We ought to seek to please Him. We ought to seek fellowship with Him. 45. Do not think, that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. Now that's that's a, a, a rude awakening. That's a you know kind of a cold water in the face or slap in the face. Moses, on whom you rest your hope, he's going to accuse you. Verse forty-six. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe His writings, how will you believe My words? Again, you see how He's making them synonymous there? One and the same. His writings, My words. My testimony, Moses' testimony. By the way, that's another witness that He's referring to there. Moses. Moses testified about Me. Now, if you don't believe Moses, then of course you don't believe Me. Of course, they're saying they do believe Moses. What, what He's implying is you don't, you don't really believe Moses. If you did, you would believe me. But if you don't believe his writings, 
How will you believe my words? Now, I want to come back to that tonight, so I'm not going to go into it now, but I just want to leave us with a couple of thoughts here. There, there's the evidence. Now, do we believe the testimonies concerning Jesus? Well, there's a whole lot that could be said here. I'm, I'm going to have to be real quick though, but uh, just like this morning, if, if you were in Sunday school and we were talking about John 3.16 being a summation of the Gospel, it doesn't give us the whole story. It's a great sum. Obviously, it's God-inspired sum. But it doesn't give us the full story. For example, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes on Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Okay? What does it mean to believe? Well, I think the rest of the Bible tells us what it means to believe. John 3.16 doesn't tell us. It just, it just puts that word out there. Whoever believes... Now, you've got to go somewhere else to find out what believe means. Similarly here, we're getting over and over and over. I want you to know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, so that knowing that, you will believe on Him and believing in Him may have eternal life. So what does that mean? Let me just first say what it's not. It's not just giving mere mental assent. I, I, yesterday I noticed on uh, Dickie Chappelle's Facebook um, he had, he had put a post up there, from a quote from John Piper. And uh, I thought about it this morning, so I went back and copied it. <clears throat> Here it is. A Christian is not a person who believes in his head the teachings of the Bible. Satan believes in his head the teachings of the Bible. A Christian is a person who has died with Christ, whose stiff neck has been broken, whose brazen forehead has been shattered, whose stony heart has been crushed, whose pride has been slain, and whose life is now mastered by Jesus Christ. That's, that's a pretty good description of believing. To believe is to be mastered by. It is to be in submission. Just like, and we've seen this already. Jesus talks about His submission to the Father. Well, His disciples are marked by submission to Him. So it's not just giving mental assent or acknowledgement. Yes, yes, I know that there's one God. Good. Demons believe that too. And they tremble. You say, I know there's one God and I tremble. I fear Him. Well, so do demons. That's no sign of salvation. I can tell you one thing demons don't do. Willing obedience. Willing obedience. They're not submitted. And when you see them obey, for example, when Jesus casts demons out and says, come out and don't return into Him anymore, or something to that effect. When you see them obey, yes, of course they have to obey because He's Lord of all, but it is not willing obedience and it is not done out of a heart of love for Christ.
And that's what Jesus is looking for. People who will come to Him to have life. He told the Jews, You refuse to come to Me that you may have life. That's, that's another one, isn't it? Come, what do you mean come to Christ? Well, that's, again, kind of the same thing. Submit to His Lordship. Live in willing obedience to Him. Loving Him above everything. Because it's not enough to obey either, is it? Like I say, Jesus told the demons to get, they, get, they got. <laughs> they, they, get, they got out of there. But there was no love. There was no willingness. So, it's willing submission, loving adoration. Honor, right? That's what he said. Honor. If you honor the Father, you honor me. The Father has has done these things and given uh, put judgment into my hands so that the Son may be honored. So do we believe the testimonies concerning Jesus? Do we live in submission to Him? Do we obey His Word? That's the idea again when He says, you don't have God's Word abiding in you. In other words, it wasn't, it wasn't really affecting. Think for a second, even before I finish that phrase. Think for a second who he's talking about. These are people that probably had the scripture, a, a large percentage of the Scripture memorized. And he's telling them, you don't have God's Word in you. And they're probably thinking, oh, I don't. Just give me a chapter and verse and I'll spout it out to you. But that's not what he meant. He means being affected by it. He means being controlled by it. it. Governing your life, your attitudes, your actions. Again, loving submission. David said, oh, how love I thy law. I mean, David loved God's law. He said, it's my meditation all the day long. Jesus says to the Jews, you don't have God's Word abiding in you. Do we obey His Word? That is, is it, is it in us in that it, it's, it's controlling our lives, it's affecting us, it is changing us, it is, to use Jesus' Word, sanctifying us, John 17, 17. Is it making us holy? There's a question for us to ponder. You say, well, I think I have God's Word abiding in me. Is it making you holy? Are you are you being rad, are we being radically changed by it? Do we seek the glory and the praise of God rather than the praise of men? It's more than mental assent. It is submission to His Lordship. Listen, if we understand who... We're talking about Jesus' identity here. If we understand who Jesus is saying who He is, how can we do anything other? He is Lord. He is God. He's God in the flesh. He's our Creator. He made us. He owns us. I don't own one square inch of my body or my soul, if that can be measured in inches, which I guess it can't, but however you measure it, I don't own any of it. It belongs to Him. He made us. You see, it's, it's, it's those things. 
that they're not getting because they don't believe the testimonies. They don't believe the witnesses. Believe the witnesses. Believe on Jesus. Believe on the One whom He has sent. And you have life. Would you stand please?